Hey, this is Sam from Brain Tools, and this is the shortcut version of our Brain Tools podcast, where you get just the Brain Tools, all four of them, uh, nothing else. It's short, practical, and sweet, and I hope you like it. The Brain Tools section of this confidence episode is right here, right now. But, Sam, before we get in, there's actually a bit of a TED myth that I'd like to share with you. You know how much we love busting myths? Uh, we try our best. Let's give this a crack. Now, I want to take you back. Do you remember when the power pose became a big thing from uh, Amy Cuddy, uh, 2010? It was Do you remember everywhere. This? It was everywhere. Yeah, I remember. Is, and I'm, okay, I'm not naked, knocking Amy Cuddy because I think the message is fantastic, right? Which is there are you want to find ways to increase confidence, especially for people in professional settings who really struggle with that sort of, I suppose, social anxiety, right? Which is going into an interview, asking for a raise. But the long and short of this was she basically was positing through this paper that one of two power poses can boost your self-confidence, but explaining through a mechanism. And the mechanism that was explained was an increase in testosterone by circa 20% and decrease in cortisol by 25%. And this TED Talk has been viewed 43 million times. Now, let's sort this one out. There were 11 studies in 2017 from CRSP and the Social Psychology and Personality Science, which basically showed the original paper was flawed. They tried to replicate it to 200 people compared to original studies, which only had 42 people, and it failed to duplicate that effect. And the co-author that did it with Amy Cuddy, again, not slandering Amy Cuddy, it's the paper, it's the research. Dana Carthy, Carney, she was the co-author reviewed and also noted there was a flaw with the experimental design. So the key thing to note is just to note that it's not that you do a power pose and then two minutes for two minutes and two minutes later, you are the most confident human alive. It seems nice. It seems like a silver bullet but it's not necessarily the case. And so I wanted to address that one up front because it's not going to appear in our four brain tools today, <laughs> even though people might have been expecting it to do so. Oh, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> Ted, beware of TED Talks. Beware of research and the issue with the replication crisis when it comes to psychological research. I'm glad you called it out because it's something that I've seen over and over again, other people kind of in the, the brain and mind space talk about that exact problem that people think they can just power pose their way to confidence. Absolutely. And what we'll find out is it's something different, which is what my first brain tool has to do with. And it's time to share it, Sam. Brain tool number one, paint your body language picture. Okay. No idea where you're going with this I one. just love that subtle person. You're like, Kieran, what are, you, are you trying to do like a John Mayer lyric song? Like what's going on here? I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. If I'm not your French girl, what are you doing right now? <laughs> And I think it's, it first starts with this though, right? Which is like, I bring this up because we don't necessarily know what it looks like when we're nervous, right? If I say to you, hey, yeah. what are you, the specific things you do when you're nervous in all these different situations? And maybe some people would know, but most people wouldn't. We feel it. We think we can disguise it, but we don't realize that what we are showing through our body language is obviously impacting how people respond to us. And Albert Mahabian was the famous dude that came up with a 7, 38, and 55 rule, which is the words, tone, and body language and how they impact you. 7% words, 38% tone, 55% body language. Now, for those listening, ignore the percentages. They literally don't make any sense whatsoever, but the principle behind what he's saying does, which is what we actually do in terms of our physical body language does have a really big impact on how we appear to other people and then how they interact with us. And there's a feedback loop. So the most important part of painting your body language picture is to really clearly understand what confidence and not confidence looks like in terms of your body language so you can understand the message that you are sending to the people you're interacting with. 
And that's what I've got so far. So effectively, there's almost a bit of a mirror for how confident you are. And if you're not looking confident, the person in front of you is going to mirror that lack of confidence towards you. And via the process of neural synchronization, neural coupling, you're actually going to feel less confidence as a result. Super interesting. The question is, how do you how do you use that? Like once you know you've got uh, to paint your body language picture, how do you actually do that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it first starts just I want to do a little bit of a brainstorm with you very, very quickly, right? Because I think it comes down to asking you two fundamental questions, which is what does confidence look like? Or you invert it and mm. say, what does confidence not look like? So to you, mate, just a few things. Off the top of my head, there's you know a confident person. They're smiling. They're laughing. They're maintaining eye contact with you. They've probably got open body language and strong posture. Is there anything that you would add to that list? The only thing I would add to that is it's really about yeah, open shoulders and head back and up. So it's almost as if space can be equated to, to confidence in body language. Absolutely. And that's where the whole idea of the fidgeting also comes as well, like speaking Mm. too fast, the tone that you're speaking as well, how you use your hands. And so to get really practical here, once you've identified what a good framework for strong or great positive body language actually looks like to exude confidence, and you've obviously done the reciprocal, which is what it doesn't look like, now it's time to video yourself. You've got a framework. Let's pick a situation. Let's say you're doing public speaking. Let's say you're doing a sales meeting. Let's say you're just doing a just everyday social situation. You need to have a mirror. So you video yourself and then you actually have this framework to say, hey, how many did I look like I had really open body language? Did I not? Was I smiling? Was I not? And the reason I bring this up is I remember getting feedback from one of my first sales meetings when I was first starting the business. And man, oh man, I thought I was this charismatic, swagger, smiling no, <laughs> literally, <laughs> I didn't smile the entire time, Humbled. but I thought I did. I was speaking way too fast, which to be fair, I still do. I literally looked like a murderer that sounded nervous. That's literally what wow. it came across like, and I had no idea about it. There was no feedback loop. And once I saw that yeah. against a framework, then I was able to say, hey, I might not be 100% confident right now. I might not be actually there. I need to fake it till I make it. Let's actually adopt these things. And then what happened is people responded to me differently. And because I have an inherent fear of rejection where I want people to like me, I noticed some more positive cues back to me. I built a little bit more confidence. I was able to actually act in that conversation and there was a big trigger change. So that's basically the core root of painting your body language picture, which is brain tool number one. So get some understanding of what your body language is like when you are unconfident or not feeling confident in certain situations by using video and then use that to counter that non-confident body language and start to move to a place where you're actually exhibiting confidence and you have this feedback loop, which then makes you more confident because people reciprocate. That is a very good summary, Sam. Brain tool number one, off the books. Brain tool number one uh, leads us into brain tool number two, which is nerve narrative flipping. Nerve narrative flipping. And so the idea is that what we talked about earlier, nervousness and excitement are almost the same thing in the brain and the body, which means you can hijack this to improve your confidence simply by changing your narrative of how you're experiencing that feeling. If you tell yourself, this isn't nervousness, this is excitement, and list out the reasons exciting, you're able to flip the narrative, flip the nerves, and flip your confidence. So simply saying, I am excited, and telling yourself you feel excited whenever you feel nervous will help you be more confident in situations. 
Yeah, it's it's almost a form of cognitive reappraisal, which we were talking about before, which is you're changing oh, is, that yeah. lens of hey. And as we said before, and I loved that point where you said was um, that nerve nervousness and excitement are basically two sides of the same coin, and it's literally mm. that you're flipping it the other way like a coin um, to obviously look at the excitement part. Exactly right, and you hit the hit the nail on the head when you said it's really similar to cognitive reappraisal. So go back and listen to our former episodes uh, on well-being or in stress, uh, specifically the episode we did uh, uh, at work as well, because we talked about it there. And it's this idea that as anxiety and stress response is the same as the excitement response in the brain, but they feel different because of this top-down perception of what we think they are or the verbiage we use to describe it. I'm so anxious right now. I have so much anxiety. Even though they're identical uh, physiologically, if you change that verbiage, if you change the way you think of that to excitement, you're actually able to change the way you perceive that. And this is called anxious reappraisal. So really similar to cognitive reappraisal, called anxious reappraisal. And there's a whole slew of research out there, big body of work, one paper in particular, which is get excited, reappraising pre-performance anxiety as excitement, found that by just telling yourself, I'm excited rather than I am anxious, people are able to switch the impact this physical sensation had on their confidence levels. Yeah, that makes sense to me as well. And that that notion of cognitive versus anxious reappraisal is a, a really nice adage, adage rather to it. My my question here is then like implementing this because I'm trying to understand cognitive reappraisal is obviously taking you know something that you've experienced and trying to obviously flip it in a turn direction. What about an example when it comes to anxiety and excitement? It's really simple, and it's a three-word rule I've heard used by everyone from Dr. Andrew Huberman himself, Sarah Grossman-Bloom talks about it, a couple of other people in the, the confidence and neuroscience space. Rather than saying, I am anxious, say, I'm excited right now. That's it. All you need to do is tell yourself, I'm excited right now when you feel those feelings of anxiety. And by doing this over and over again, you'll be able to flip that frame from anxious to excited and therefore flip the impact that has on your performance. Brain tool number two. So anxious reappraisal, change it from anxiety to excitement and those three magical words is not I love you, but I am excited. Oh, I like that. That was really very advertising of you. And that's brain tool number two. (laughs) Well, that uh, leads nicely into brain tool number three because, you know, we're trying to shift our mindset from anxiety to the excitement. And I think brain tool number three is then called unforgettable achievement file. Now, it seems really weird. Again, advertising sounds like a really, really big thing. But the the, the key, I think, issue that people sometimes have, myself, I would actually put up and include myself here, is we can get really caught in the weeds of everyday life and we don't actually take time to reflect Mm. and smell the roses. We're constantly, you know, we talk about the hedonic uh, treadmill or hedonic adaptation. There's always something next that we're trying to strive towards as we go up a hierarchy. But we don't realize we've generally achieved heaps more than we actually think. But you have to take stock. You have to actually sit there and be like, hey, what have I achieved? And looking back at that. And so that's the really clear solution is creating a list of all your achievements. And when you are in doubt, when you might be experiencing imposter syndrome, when you might be experiencing low confidence, it's now time to actually look at it, to actually remind yourself, hey, I can do this. It's reminding me of that concept of negativity bias, where we have so much more valence and salience in our brain to detecting negative events, and especially our failures and recent failures, if you take into account availability bias and things that 
happened more recently to us, we put more stock towards. So that's a really good point because if you don't remember all the things you did amazingly well in the past, you're going to focus on the things that you stuffed up in the present. Question, did you find any papers that supported some of this? So surprisingly, yes. I had a lot of doubt about this. So hey, I found I found uh, this um, tool lying about. And I was like, okay, let's, let's suss this out. Paper in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology 2013. And they actually did this when it came to job interviews. And they had people, uh, two, two groups, obviously a control as well. And one group was shown, um, you know, their all, all their achievements and what they actually had done in their life prior to the interview. And the other group shown the things that they hadn't done or had not achieved and then obviously control where they had nothing. And what they found is that the people who were interviewing, the interviewers, actually preferred on statistically significantly the people that had been primed through looking at their achievements. And that was just a really simple thing to go through. It wasn't any other anything else than looking at a couple of achievements that they had. And I think then when it comes to implementing this is knowing, and I, I want to make a really clear caveat because I think it can be very easy to go down the track of what have I achieved in my career, right? And that's where, you know, you get mm. your self-worth. Oh, like, hey, this is what I've done. But I think that's a good question. What have I achieved in my professional life? What have I done in my career? But what have you achieved in your personal life? Being in a relationship for two or three years is an achievement, right? It's a hard thing to do to be in a relationship, right? And taking stock of that. Um, and the other one that I've got here in this list that you could create is what have you helped other people achieve? So instead of directing it into the I've achieved this, it's that I've helped other people achieve this. And that's where a lot of self-worth and self-esteem can also come from, which is how have you made other people better? And when you're experiencing this imposter syndrome, review it, have a look at it, have a look at it and see the impact that it has on you. It's not going to be an instant fix, but sometimes we need these subtle reminders that we've done a lot more than we think we've done and that we're doing a half-decent job. And so that's brain tool number three, the unforgettable achievement file. So glad you brought that brain tool to light because it's actually really well researched by some people, not specifically um, in the psychology sphere, but also some of the neuroscientists, such as Dr. Moran Cerf, who recommends the same thing. And it makes a lot of sense if you think about it from this perspective of attention, where if you're putting that spotlight of attention on the things you've done well and in your achievements and there's personal ones in particular, you're going to feel better about yourself naturally. 100%. And you've got the final brain tool, my friend. Wrapping it up with brain tool number four, which is write about your values. Before I say that, the typical uttering self-help mantras, the I'm so lovable and I am amazing are really, really ineffective. Quite frankly, they are. The research, Sam, the research you've, shows You've unholstered, my friend. You're shooting. shooting. I'm, I'm shot down Amy Cuddy apparently now and you're just joining the fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking some serious, throwing some serious punches at the self-help industry. But the research basically shows they only work well for people who already have high self-esteem and for people who don't, they can actually backfire telling yourself these things. But what does work is a specific self-affirmation exercise, and one in particular, which has a body of research. And what that shows is writing about the things you value, whether that's your family, your career, environmentalism, your beliefs, your volunteering, strengthens your self-worth and your self-esteem. Mm. So can you help me understand that? So that's the values part. What would be the, the opposite part to this then? If, uh, if that, like, you know, in terms of self-affirmation, if I didn't, if I was writing my, my values, I get this, which is the family, the career, what would be the opposite to that? If there is out of interest. By opposite, what, what exactly do you mean? Are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking like in terms of values being quite intrinsic to you, 
right? Which is, you know, yeah. like that seems quite different from a, you know, what you've achieved, if that makes sense. It is, but I think that's part of the reason why it works so well, or from what I understood from the body of papers on this. And that's because what they found was showing this self-affirmation can boost things like performance, improve our responses to threat, minimize anxiety, stress, defensiveness associated with threats to ourselves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason is because, I know I'm not touching on the opposite, but the reason this works in particular values being an intrinsic thing is reflecting on these is rewarding to the brain and it's mm. pleasurable is what they found. So there's actually a couple of studies where they, they use fMRI in particular, run people through these exercises, scan their brains, and they saw that the reward centers of their brains lit up. They were active while participating in this action. And that could be part of the reason why it's so effective is because it makes us feel good about who we are, our lives, what's going on in our lives, what we're doing, and it reminds us to feel good about these things that we value. So there's a, one of the studies in particular was the 2015 paper in the Journal of Social, Cognitive, and Effective Neuroscience by the one and only happiness researcher himself, Matthew Lieberman and colleagues, where they asked a whole bunch of overweight people to participate in these self-affirmation exercises. And then they showed them some really, really confronting messages about mm. weight loss and obesity and things that would trigger most people. And they found the ones that participated and wrote down what they valued, whether it was their family or their relationships or their work, after being exposed to these threatening messages, so to speak, they actually felt much better than the people who didn't. And so there was a direct correlation with self-esteem and they also scanned the brands, brains and found all this correlation and linked to these reward areas being active. That makes heaps of sense. And I think that's now aligning with that uh, you know, pleasure purpose pendulum, right, of eudaimonia, which it almost yeah. seems as if, the, as you're rightly saying, it's like these self-affirmations of value-based things um, are clearly very directed upon purpose, not just pleasurable things to affirm, um, which is very clear, you know, man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl. <laughs> <laughs> the old Viktor, exactly right. And the fact that they have these huge benefits on our self-esteem uh, in general is really, really cool. And knowing that, the question is, like, how do we actually use this? It's, it's really, really simple, right? From all the research, the one exercise to do is sit down and write about your core personal values. And I've just discovered this myself, so I'm learning to implement it now. And what I've been doing is in my journal, uh, if I remember at night, I just spend five minutes writing about what, what I actually care about, what I really, really value. So for me, that's things like access to education, value mental health, uh, emotional intelligence, teaching, sharing. And I write about those things and I'm actually noticing it is helping me feel better about myself reflecting on these values. So if anyone at home listening, just spend some time writing about the things you value on a recurring basis and it has benefits to your self-esteem and your confidence. And that's brain tool number four, write about what you value. Yeah, and it aligns nicely also with the the notion of you know Stoic philosophy that we always speak about. That these values things seem to be in your in, your internal locus of control. They're not externalities, which um, reinforces why this is a very good brain tool. We'll go back to the top, my friend, and summarize all Let's these bad boys. Brain tool number 
Uno, paint your body language picture. I think the key thing to remember here is what does it look like when you are lacking confidence and what does it look like when you actually have confidence? Really assess that and then get a mirror. Video yourself or get feedback from someone watching you in different situations that you feel you lack confidence, i.e. you don't think that you can achieve or execute accordingly. Doing this is a really good feedback loop which will help you iterate your behavior, appear more confident, and then obviously interact with people in a much more confident way. That's brain tool number one, paint your body language picture. Speaking of the body, brain tool number two is the nerve narrative flipping. When you are nervous, when you are worried, rather than thinking, I'm so anxious, I'm so nervous, tell yourself, I'm excited. It is the same physiological response in your brain and your body. And just by flipping that narrative, you can actually flip how it impacts you and your confidence. And that's brain tool number two, nervous narrative flipping. And brain tool number three, the unforgettable achievement file. We can get caught in the weeds. We sometimes don't smell the roses of what we've achieved. And it's really important to sometimes take stock, especially when you're feeling like an imposter. So ask yourself those questions. What have you achieved in your personal, professional, and most importantly, what you've helped other people achieve? Note them down and look at it when you're feeling a little bit down and low on confidence. It'll spike it back up. Brain tool number three, unforgettable achievement file. And the last one, brain tool number four, write about your values. This has been shown, this self-affirmation affirmation uh, exercise has been shown to improve your self-esteem, to build resilience. And it does this by activating the parts of your brain responsible for reward and self-processing. And it's as simple as spending some time writing out, this is what I value. This is what I really care about in my life um, on a regular basis to help build a confidence foundation brain tool number four right where you value and now as we wrap up episode 30 on confidence sam what is your 80 20 for this episode my 80 20 is confidence is built one success at a time but you can manage nerves and narratives as you build this confidence muscle Mm, and beelining into that is my 80 20 which is confidence is a reflection of how you respond to your environment Really looking at those things that you control, the values that Sam discussed is really, really important so that you can execute and go on your merry way in a confident manner. And that's wrapping it up. That's wrapping up. That's confidence for this week. And I'll tell you what, I have actually been using some of these confidence brain tools myself this week. So I'm excited for other people to get to try out them for themselves. Well, Sammy, that was a great episode, my friend. Great to see you as always. And until next time. See you later. 